Breaking into long abandoned houses is generally a bad idea. If the place is really falling apart, you could find yourself breathing mold and walking on floors that might break under your weight. But sometimes, when you're young and don't care about risk, the lure of exploration can be hard to pass up. I know. I've been there. And if, for whatever reason, any of you choose to follow in my footsteps, I can give you some advice. It's not likely you'll have the same experience I did, but it can't hurt to be safe. Go in groups and look out for each other. Be wary if you can't get cell service. Make sure you can leave the building if you need to. And above all else, watch the clocks. My name is Sierra. I was 14 when this happened, tagging along with my older brother and his friends. As far as you need to know, their names are Mike, Charlie, Oscar, and Victor. One Thursday after school, Mike invited Oscar over. They shut themselves in Mike's bedroom, and I heard them talking in low, excited voices. The nosy brat that I was, I pressed my ear to the wall. I didn't catch everything that they were saying, but I got the general idea. They were planning to sneak out on Saturday night and go to the abandoned house five blocks down. Most people thought it was an eyesore, but no one could be bothered to do anything about it. From the road, you could barely see it past the trees and out-of-control weeds, but you might still be able to catch a glimpse of the peeling paints or the sagging roof. To me, it was unique and different, standing in defiance of the orderly world that surrounded it. I loved it. So, naturally, after Oscar left, I barged into Mike's room and demanded to go with them. Were you eavesdropping again? He asked. I've told you before. I hear everything. I grinned. Now, let me come along or I'll tell Mom what you're planning. Yes, I played that card. Like I said, I was a brat. Mike glared at me for a long time. Finally, he said. Fine, fine. Now get out. I ran back to my room, all smiles and excited hand-waving. If I had any idea what we were getting ourselves into, I would have done everything in my power to stop them from going. But who's to say it would have worked? In any case, none of us could have known just how bad it would be. We didn't know until it was already too late to back out. In the end, I don't regret going with them. I only regret that I didn't do enough. Saturday came around, and I was practically crawling out of my skin. I'd been on a massive Sudoku binge for the last few days, but that day, I was so out of my mind I could hardly tell six from nine. Around eleven at night, I gave up and turned out the lights. I sat on my bed, breathing unsteadily, thoughts racing, eyes fixed on my alarm clock. At 12.46am, Mike cracked open my door, holding his phone in one hand and a flashlight in the other. We're going, he said, his voice short and tense. Put your shoes on. I grabbed my shoes and my cheap digital watch and followed Mike out of the back door. As we walked, he seems to make an effort to keep ahead of me. I didn't bother trying to catch up. 
He only slowed to a stop when we reached our destination. Even in the dark, it stood out. The front yard was so overgrown the streetlights barely penetrated it. We wordlessly scanned the empty sidewalk, and then Mike flicked on the flashlight, and we ventured into the yard. We picked our way toward the porch and found Oscar and Victor seated at the base of the steps. Victor gave me a strange look and whispered, What's she doing here? She made me bring her, Mike said. Don't blame me. Victor shot me a glare. I smiled back. We still waiting for Charlie? Mike asked. Yeah, he said he'd be late. Oscar held up his phone. Though, I wouldn't be surprised if he backed out at the last second. You should have seen his face. Charlie did show up, but only when Oscar was about ready to give up on him. He came stumbling through the weeds, lighting the way with his phone, which quivered slightly in his hand. Sorry, he gasped. My mom was up late. Oscar grinned up at him. You sure you weren't just scared? Of course I'm sure, Charlie said, but his voice broke on the words. Yeah, yeah, you know, Sierra here wanted to come so badly, she didn't care that she wasn't invited. You hear that? Even Mike's little sister's braver than you are. Shut up, Mike said. Let's just go in. I sprang to my feet so fast I got dizzy. Mike stood up next, rolling his eyes, and pressed his flashlight into my hand. The five of us clustered around the front door, and Oscar tried the knob. It was unlocked. I threw a quick glance at my watch. 1.24. When we stepped inside... With Mike and Oscar in the lead and Charlie in the rear, the first thing that hit me was the smell. This house, having been neglected since before I was born, was musty as hell, filled with the odor of rot and mold. I held a hand to my nose, my excitement's beginning to ebb. We made a circuit of the first floor. It was straightforward enough, living room, dining room, kitchen, and den. With a small bathroom by the kitchen... The house still had some furniture for whatever reason, but it was sparse and decrepit, looking as though it would fall apart at the slightest provocation. The kitchen seemed emptiest, though I spotted a few old pots and pans in the open cabinets. Every time we slowed down to examine anything, Charlie became more agitated. By the time he entered the den, he was muttering that this place was creepy and we shouldn't be here. His friends ignored him. I was pacing the creaky floor in the den, searching for patterns in the flaky paint, when I idly glanced at my watch and stopped short. It said 109. What time do you guys have? I asked. Mike and Victor gave me weird looks, but Oscar decided to humor me. He checked his phone and frowned. 2.15. I thought it was earlier than that. Charlie followed suit, and his eyes widened. Four thirteen. Mike's phone said one thirty-three, and Victor's said five thirty-seven. Hearing all this, I was more confused than scared. Knowing this discrepancy made no sense, but not yet knowing what it meant, Charlie saw things differently. This place isn't right, he said. We need to go. 
What? Oscar said. Now that I think about it, he didn't sound quite as confident as before. Then again, I could just be imagining that. You think a few messed up clocks are going to hurt you? Charlie's voice jumped about an octave. How are you so calm about this? I don't know, Oscar said, a hint of amusement behind his words. Maybe because I'm not a total coward? Shut up. If anything bad happens, I'm blaming you. This was your idea. Victor had started to walk off toward the stairs by the living room. Where are you going? Mike called after him. Anywhere but here, he said. Call me when you're done being idiots. Victor disappeared up the stairs and Charlie cringed. You know what? Fine. I'm done being an idiot. I'm leaving whether you like it or... His flashlight fell on the floor and he froze. I didn't close that. I remember thinking, you know there are weird things going on, right? But I didn't say it. I just watched as Charlie walked tentatively toward the door, ignoring Oscar's snickering in the background, and tried to open it. He couldn't. The knob didn't turn. What? His voice sounded so lost, so helpless. Why can't I... The first hint of dread rose up in my stomach. This wasn't what I signed up for. Charlie drew a long, stuttering breath and drifted off to the kitchen. The rest of us followed him in silence. Mechanically, as if in a trance, he tried the back door. It didn't budge either. Is someone screwing with us? Mike muttered. I glanced at the window over the sink. It didn't look like it opens, but I wasn't so easily deterred. I reached into a cabinet and grabbed the first thing I touched, a saucepan, then crawled onto the counter and started bashing my new weapon against the window. The glass didn't even crack, and not for lack of effort. I'm stubborn as all hell, and it took me way too long to give up. Eventually, though, I let out a shaky sigh and climbed down to the floor. My heart was pounding. What's happening? Charlie whimpered. Mike left the kitchen. A moment later, his voice rang through the house. Victor, get back down here. We have a problem. No sound came from above us. Victor? He repeated. When no response came, he called to us. I'm going up. Who's coming with me? Still clutching my saucepan, I joined him without a second thought. If something had happened, I needed to know. Oscar, now weirdly stone-faced, came with me. The three of us were halfway up the stairs when Charlie scrambled after us. Don't leave me alone down there, he whispered. Please. There were four rooms off the upstairs hallway. One of them was a bathroom, blackened grout, stained fixtures, no space for a teenage boy to hide. The rest were bedrooms. We inspected those a little more carefully, checking inside the closets and under the beds, though Mike said he didn't know why Victor would be hiding like that. When we were about to enter the last bedroom, at the end of the hall, I noticed something. There's a light, I said, already walking in to check it out. 
the others trailed behind me. The source of the light was lying on the floor, in the large, empty space between the bed and the open closet. It was a phone stuck on the lock screen. The clock read 3.43. That's Victor's, Mike murmured. But where is he? Even after searching the rooms, we had no answer to that question. I checked the closet myself. It was totally bare, giving no sign that it had ever been used. Charlie was trembling, muttering something I couldn't hear. Mike put a hand on his shoulder, Oscar leaning down to take a closer look at Victor's phone. He tilted his head, checked his own phone, then asked, Does anyone have a signal? No one did. Charlie had started to hyperventilate, and I could hardly blame him. We were trapped, with no way of getting help, and I think we'd all started to realize we were in danger. We should go downstairs, Mike's voice cracked a little. I don't think we'll find anything else up here. Back on the ground floor, Mike tried his best to calm Charlie down. Not knowing how to help, I found myself wandering back to the kitchen. I was pacing the room, restraining myself from trying to smash the windows again, when I heard footsteps behind me. I spun around, ready to swing my saucepan at the intruder. Even though we should have been alone in the house, my instincts told me to treat everything as a threat. But it was just Oscar, holding his hands up defensively. Holy hell, you scared me, I said. Sorry. Oscar lowered his voice. You know, I'd never tell any of the guys this, but I'm a bit on edge too. I won't pretend I understand the tough guy act he put on for his friends. I almost confronted him about it, but for once in my life, I didn't want to make things awkward. After all, we were in this nightmare together. When Oscar returned to the living room, I decided I might as well follow him. We found Mike and Charlie reminiscing about elementary school, talking about some prank from the sound of it. Charlie was still pale and shaky, but at least his breathing had somewhat returned to normal. Oscar jumped into the conversation, and I just listened. I don't even recall the details, but I do remember the unease that fell over the room whenever Victor's name came up. It was a constant reminder that any of us could be next to vanish. Over an hour in, Charlie spoke up in a nervous tone. Uh, guys, guys, I, I need to pee. You don't have to announce that to us, you know, Oscar said. No, that's not it. I can't wait any longer, but I'll have to do it alone, but I don't want to... Charlie, Mike put a hand on his back. Slow down. Sorry, sorry. Charlie buried his face in his hands. There's a bathroom down here, right? Could you guys wait outside the door or something? Sure, Oscar said. I'm guessing it was the closest he would ever come to apologizing. At first, things seemed normal enough. Charlie shut himself in the bathroom, leaving the rest of us clustered outside the door. I heard him let out a low, disgusted groan, then begin to piss. For a moment, I wondered exactly how vile the toilet was. How long had this house been without running water again? He finished and approached the door. 
his shoes noisy against the tiles. Then the knob rattled a few times, but it didn't turn. Charlie gasped. Guys, I can't open the door. I shivered and clutched the flashlight and saucepan tighter. Oscar was quicker to spring into action, wrapping his hands around the knob and trying to pull the door open. Even as he did, though, I knew it would be futile. Hang in there, Mike said, fear tingling every word. The musty odor in the air seemed to swell, making my eyes water. Charlie broke into panicked sweats, accompanied by equally panicked muttering from Oscar as he yanked on the door. My heart raced, the sensation reminding me of all the times I'd been startled awake by a nightmare. I wished I could wake up and discover that none of this was real. A wet, sucking sound came from the bathroom. Charlie started screaming, a long, high-pitched sound that pierced my ears and took over my mind. I couldn't even think, much less imagine what might be happening behind that door. On instinct, I dropped the saucepan with a clatter and pressed my hands to my ears. My legs were itching to move, to run, but I was frozen with terror. Then, silence. The knob finally turned in Oscar's hands, and the door swung open. He lost his balance, forcing Mike to catch him by the shoulders. Morbid curiosity broke me out of my paralysis, and I took up my trusty saucepan, pushed past the boys and peered in. Charlie was gone. The only sign of him was his phone on the counter. His lock screen cast the room in a greenish glow. And again, the clock read 5.43. A thought occurred to me. It came slowly, pieces clicking into place as I worked through it out loud. The clocks, I muttered. We all had different times, right? Victor had the latest time, then Charlie. Then me, Oscar whispered. I turned to face him. His eyes were wide. Though whether it was from the shock of losing Charlie or from fear for himself, I still don't know. Mike was first to break the ensuing silence. All right, we're not going to split up again for any reason. Understood? And watch your phone clock, Oscar, I said. When it hits 5.43, be careful. We had almost two hours until then, and the wait was interminable. For a while, we sat in the living room, trying, and mostly failing, to talk about other things. After about half an hour, though, Oscar got restless. He said he needed a change of scenery. The next hour and a half, when we wandered the house like caged animals, blurs together in my mind. I don't remember when we went upstairs or why. Sometimes I wish we hadn't gone up there, but I doubt it would have made much difference. I do remember a couple things, though. I remember entering the room at the end of the hall and noticing that Victor's phone was missing. Mike cringed a little when I pointed that out. We left the room as fast as we could. I also remember how it ended. By Oscar's clock, 5.43 was approaching fast. He was making me nervous now. He jittered in place, eyes darting back and forth. 
Mike was trying to keep talking, trying to act like everything was okay, but his voice faltered and his hands shook. Me. I couldn't speak at all. In the last minute, my eyes were glued to Oscar's phone. Mike trailed off into silence. I was barely breathing. That minute dragged on for so long, I was almost convinced time had stopped. Then the clock ticked over to 5.43. Nothing happened. Not right away. The house was dead quiet. None of us could move or speak. We just stood, frozen in the middle of the upstairs hallway. Dread squeezed my chest. Knowing the truth about the house only made it worse. I knew something terrible was coming, but I couldn't make myself do anything about it. The silence was only broken when the floor cracked beneath Oscar's feet. Without thinking, I scrambled back from the hole. It was so precise, just large enough to allow Oscar to cleanly fall through. Mike and I exchanged looks of sheer terror before sprinting downstairs, following Oscar's screams. We found him in the den. He'd broken through that floor, too, and landed in a crawl space under the house. When our lights fell on him, I saw that his body was half buried in the dirt, and that the dirt was moving, spreading up to his chest with alarming speed. Mike gasped, but didn't hesitate. He ran over, grabbed Oscar's elbow, and pulled with everything he had. But from the looks of it, the dirt was pulling back, unwilling to release its victim. Every time Mike seems to be making any progress, Oscar would sink again with a sharp jerk, as if caught in the world's worst game of tug-of-war. As for me, I'm ashamed to admit this. Not a day passes that I don't regret it. But I froze. I couldn't look away, but I couldn't run forward to help either. The dirt crept up to Oscar's neck, and his screams turned into sobs. And all I could do was watch. Mike was trying. I know he was. But he couldn't hold on forever. Eventually, his fingers slipped. Oscar went under, head disappearing below the soil. His sobs cut off with a speed that chilled me. His phone remained above ground, resting on the dirt in the crawl space. I didn't need to take a closer look this time. Oh, Christ. Mike whispered. Oh, Christ, oh, Christ. When I found my voice, I asked him one simple question. I spoke hesitantly, half expecting him to yell at me for the failure to help. What time do you have? His phone lay face down on the floor beside him. He reached for it, slowly, as though moving through water and read the time off in a shaky voice. 5.12. Just over half an hour. He stood up sluggishly and walked toward the living room. We shouldn't stay here, I guess. There's nothing else we can do. I followed without question, and we sat on the floor together. He looped an arm around my shoulders, I hugged the saucepan and waited for him to speak. So, he said. His breath audibly hitched for a moment. What have you been up to lately? It was surreal to hear him ask that at all, 
let alone under these circumstances. It had been so long. He'd been busy finishing up his senior year in high school and hanging out with his actual friends. Why would he make time for his ridiculous little sister? Despite that, I knew what I wanted to say. So, there's this puzzle competition I just heard about last week. I talked. I talked until my throat was sore. And for once, Mike didn't get bored of my nerdy rambling and interrupt me. Every now and then, though, a whimper would force its way out of me, and I would remember that this wasn't just a casual conversation. We were waiting for the end, when an odd noise came from the den, almost a squish. I cut myself off mid-sentence. Listen, I whispered. Mike checked his phone, then showed it to me. 5.43. We turned to face the sound just in time to see something ooze around the corner. A shapeless man, all black mold and splintered wood. Mike clutched me tighter. My chest prickled, and at first I assumed it was from fear. But as the thing drew closer, the events of the night replayed in my head. I saw images of Mike searching for Victor, trying to comfort Charlie, doing everything he could to save Oscar's life and I realized there was another emotion mixed in with the terror. I was pissed, partially at myself, but mostly at this terrible house. It had done this to all of us, and now it was going to take my brother from me. My brother, who had never wanted me here, but had still stuck by me at the end. And this time, I wasn't just going to let it happen. I lifted the saucepan and threw it at the monster with all my strength. Get back. The monster simply absorbed it into its body and kept coming. Mike shrugged, and for a moment, my heart sank. But I wasn't ready to give up yet. I threw my arms around Mike and squeezed him tightly. In the clearest voice I could summon, I said, You can't have him. Sierra. Mike wheezed. What? Shut up. I'm not going to just sit here and let you die. Mike let out a sigh and hugged me back. As the smell of decay washed over me, I pressed my face into his shoulder and shut my eyes. Something pulled on Mike, trying to rip him from my arms. He clung to me, whispering my name in my ear. A new terror stirred in me a fear that my efforts wouldn't be enough. For all I knew, my strength would run out. Or maybe the house would take us both. Though, looking back, I'm not sure that was in its power. But I didn't let go. I was too stubborn for that. It was only a few minutes. It felt like days. I held on to Mike's trembling body my heart bursting with rage and panic and raw sisterly love. I couldn't think. I just perceived. The overpowering smell of mold and rotting wood. The squishing noises against the floorboards. And my brother clutching my shoulders as the house fought to tear him away. And then, all at once, it stopped. I opened my eyes and looked around. 
the monster had ceased its attack and was dissolving, silently sinking into the ground. In the den, the holes in the ceiling and floor were closing up on their own. I knew the time without having to check. It was 5.43. I only understood the significance of that time later, when I developed a hunch and took to the internet to confirm it. The sun was rising. When the house had fixed itself, leaving no sign of the night's events, the front door swung open on its own. We sprang to our feet and half walked, half ran for home beneath the brightening sky. Back in the safety of our house, Mike took me into his room. We sat on his bed, breathing hard, holding each other close. Mike was the first to speak. My friends. His voice was small and stunned. My... my friends. I wanted to say something to help. Anything. If I could go back... I might remind him that he fought to save Oscar for more than ten minutes. I might tell him that, if nothing else, he tried his best. But I've never been good at knowing what to say. No one found out what happened to Mike's friends, as far as I know. We kept our mouths shut, too afraid to send anyone else into that house. None of the neighbors reported anything either. I've always found that a bit odd. You'd think someone would have heard Charlie's ungodly scream. The house was torn down from unrelated reasons a couple years later. It still didn't stop Mike from crying at night, whenever he came home from college. He tried to hide it, and I never intended to listen. But he might have suspected I could hear him. I hear everything, even if I know I shouldn't. I hope no one else will have the same experience we did. The house is gone, after all. Some days, though, I worry it's not the only one of its kind. I wonder if there's another house somewhere that wakes in the darkness, waits for unsuspecting victims to enter, and tells them exactly when they're going to die. So for those of you who want to explore abandoned houses at night, I have some advice. Go in groups. Be wary if you get trapped inside, or if you can't get a signal, or all your clocks show different times. If you can, find out when the sun rises, and maintain some sense of the actual time. My watch was running behind. If your clock is like that, you might be safe. But I can't say for sure. And for the members of your group who are marked for death, well, don't let the house take them without a fight. <laughs>